I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Welcome. Today I am joined by Courtney McCarthy, who is a director and Merrill Lynch Wealth Management Market Executive in Providence. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. Courtney, we are so eager to hear about your career and your career journey. What made you decide to go into the financial space? You know, it's funny. Whenever I think about this question, I'm always brought back to the same theme, which is that I have been a very lucky person throughout my life. And so you'll hear that a little bit as we go through the interview. And I feel like when I first was starting out in my career, I was my very first job interview while I was still in school at Bucknell University was in March of 2009. So anybody that was working during that time or in school during that time will remember that was right in the throes of the financial crisis. So we won't say that that was lucky, but it did force me to sort of broaden my horizons and think about different opportunities, different industries within financial services that were interesting to me. So I was doing as many job interviews as I possibly could, knowing that you know the market wasn't necessarily going to be as robust with opportunities as I may have liked. And so I did feel, and as I reflect on it, incredibly lucky that in my very first interview that I sat down for a wealth management position, which is what I have worked, the industry I've worked in my entire career, the first question I was asked was, tell me about your family. Do you have brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. So not your typical interview question, but I started to talk about how I'm one of three girls, My two sisters are very similar. I'm the one that's a little bit different. I'm very analytical. I like math. That's why I wanted to get into finance. I sort of spilled my guts talking about what was important to me, and that's always been my family. That's how how I was raised. I'm very close with my sisters and my, my parents. And so I think I came across very genuine and very real in that conversation because it was something that mattered to me, and that's what wealth management really is. Wealth management is sitting across the table from families, from individuals, business owners, and talking about what drives them, what makes them passionate. And so I got really lucky that interview worked out well for me. And I've gotten lucky throughout my career that I've come across individuals who are passionate about the same things that I am. And that has kind of put me in a position to be a leader at this point in my career. And there's a lot of other pieces that go into that, kind of the table stakes of of hard work and really caring about the people that are around you. But I feel like at the core of it, it's this passion for working with individuals and figuring out what makes them tick and and what's important to them. So nice. So in your current role, what can you explain exactly what your day-to-day is like? It's a good question. So I am a market executive for Merrill Lynch. Very politely gave me in my intro, but my day-to-day is not ever going to be the same. So I manage 200 individuals across my region is called Coastal England. So like you mentioned, we're based in Providence, but we go from the South shore of Boston all the way down to Eastern Connecticut. So we have offices that run up and down the Atlantic Ocean. And my job is to help financial advisors. So those are the individuals that I just mentioned that sit across from our clients and our prospects and prioritize their family needs, philanthropic interests, anything that has to do with their financial lives and what's important to them. I help them run their businesses in the most effective and efficient way possible. So that includes things like what are the right products and services to offer to our clients. All of our financial advisors often work on teams. So what's the right team structure for them? How many people should be working, you know, within an individual financial advisor's book of business? 
And there's an element of culture and fun in what I get to do every day, right? So I want that group of 200 people, it's a lot of people, to be excited to come to work every day, to be excited to work for Bank of America, and to be excited to work for Merrill Lynch. And so we get to have fun while we do it. You know, we get to build camaraderie and excitement around, you know, when we have colleagues that have success. And then we also get to, you know, have excitement around just doing everyday kind of fun stuff. It's been harder to to do that of late, of course, because of COVID. But we've started to bring our employees back to the offices as of the end of June. And it's been a lot of fun, you know, just seeing each other again, sharing best practices, sharing ideas, and just catching up on what's been going on in everybody's lives over the last 16 months. So no day is ever going to be the same, but we do try to have fun. I love it. So what makes you most excited about your job? The very best part of my job, hands down, is being able to have conversations with advisors where we can talk about a win that they have for a client. For example, actually, just before I joined the interview, I was talking to one of our largest producers who happens to be a woman. So she runs a very large book of business and takes care of I want to say close to 200 high net and ultra high net worth families in our area. And we were talking about a mortgage. She's helping a client refinance their primary home. And we were trying to come up with a creative way to transfer the ownership of the home from the parents, you know, down to the next generation. And so being able to talk creatively with advisors and come up with a win and a solution for them and for their clients, that's the best part of what we do because ultimately it goes back to, you know, what I said at the top of our conversation about family, right? That's a family preserving the legacy that they've worked hard to create and they get to pass it down from one generation to the next. That's the best part of of what advisors get to do. And when I get to be a part of that, I consider it a real honor and excited to do it. I love it. It helps you find real purpose in your work. Exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned, which is exciting, that one of your top performers is a woman. But I happen to know the statistic that just 16% of financial advisors are women. So you are clearly in a very male-dominated field. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like? You know, it's interesting when we talk about what it's like to be a woman and a millennial woman coming up in finance, right, which is has always been, and, and to your point on the statistics, still is a male-dominated industry. But I feel lucky, uh, to use the word again, that, you know, I have never in my career felt marginalized in any way or, you know, not being given an opportunity because I am a woman. I feel like there are many women who have come before me, generations before me, and I'm able to leverage and participate in all the hard work that they've done to create opportunities for young women like myself. So I do feel incredibly fortunate to have come into the industry when I have. But I do think we still, to your point, have a lot of work to do in terms of bringing more women specifically into the financial advisor role. And so that's one of the more exciting parts of what I get to do. And part of my job is bringing new people into our market. And we have at Merrill several programs and educational opportunities for diverse candidates, so that includes women, but also Black African-American and Hispanic individuals. We do targeted conversations with individuals that fall into that demographic, people who, you know, look and sound like them and have a background like they do, so they know that it's an opportunity that uh, one of our best financial advisors down in New Jersey always says, if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? So we provide opportunities for individuals to see that you can achieve this. You can become a successful financial advisor. It's not necessarily going to be the easiest thing in the world, but 
this is a place where we embrace and celebrate diversity. And so individuals can feel sort of like how I do, that they can stand on the shoulders of those who have come before them and really get to have that joy and excitement around serving clients and their families. Love that. So who has been a big influence on you? Who's helped you along in your career development? I've had a lot of mentors, both men and women, throughout my career. I don't think I would be here without them. There's two interactions that I think about that come to mind in terms of big turning points and things that have really made me take a step back and take a pause and think about what's really important to me in my career. And the first one is with a mentor of mine who early on said to me, you know, you're really bright, you work really hard, but you have to think a little bit more strategically about what your career path is going to look like, right? You're always willing to raise your hand and roll up your sleeves and get involved, but what do you really want to do? And this was probably five or six years into my career. So I was still very young and and so felt a little bit forward, I suppose, to to be thinking that, you know, to be encouraged to think that strategically. But the conversation really did make me say, okay, what I want to do is I want to be a leader and I want to get out in front of people. And so how do I do that? And so it was just a, a push and a conversation to put myself out there. And I applied for a couple of jobs that were, you know, internally within the organization. But before having had that conversation, I might have said, you know, I'm not qualified for that job. I think there's a statistic out there that women want to meet 100% of the job qualifications where men, you know, if they meet six out of 10 or seven out of 10 of the job qualifications, they'll raise their hand for it, right? So this conversation that I happened to have with a man encouraged me to kind of raise my hand for something that maybe I wasn't quite ready for. And then the other conversation that comes to mind thinking about mentors and how they've had an influence on me is one that I had more recently with one of our senior executives here at Merrill, Lindsay Hans, who also is our diversity and inclusion champion here at Merrill. And then she serves on the executive board within Bank of America. And I had known Lindsay from a prior firm as well. So when I took on this role that I'm in today, which I started in November of last year, so very interesting time to take on the job, you know, Lindsay called me to congratulate me on the role. And then she said, she asked me a very pointed question about my family life. You know, she said, you're young. I'm 33. Are you thinking about starting a family? And I thought it was kind of a sort of a jarring question to get from a senior executive, but having sort of a personal relationship with her, I thought, okay, let's see where this conversation goes. And she encouraged me to think about coming into the role that she's asking that question and other people might be asking that question too. And I do want to have a family and that is something that I'm thinking about, but she helped me really think through, you know, how are you going to approach this new role knowing that you might, you know, have a child in the next couple of years and take advantage of our, you know, very generous maternity leave. We get four months maternity leave. And what is it going to be like as a leader of 200 people to step out of a role for four months? And it felt especially inspiring to have the conversation with her because not only is she a senior leader, but she is somebody that just had done that herself twice. So, you know, she's a level senior to me and had just had her second child and taken her full, you know, second maternity leave. And that to me, to have the opportunity to look to someone that has done it before me and then also just have a very open and honest dialogue about it was one of the most impactful conversations I've ever had about my career. Yeah. And I think about other conversations I've had in this podcast about how this idea that we can plan our career or our professional path independently of our personal path is just not real, right? And we want to have a positive and fulfilling personal life. So 
we should you know incorporate that into our thinking about how we're we're growing but it, it does make me want to ask Courtney so what's the answer to her question what is your plan and and how did you think about making that work with this big job you've got yeah it was really interesting and what Lindsay said to me was what you have to unfortunately do is think about it like that right plan out a roadmap that you know, and of course, we can all make plans, but you never know how things are actually going to ultimately end up. But she said, you're going to get into the seat and you might have to think a little bit quicker than somebody who's going to watch and kind of see how things play out. Right. You might say, OK, I have a year to kind of figure this team out. And, and when I step away, who's going to be my number two and who am I going to rely on? And you might decide pretty quickly that number two is not here. So I have to act quicker and find who that person is going to be. So she's, you know, she talked about, you know, team and planning. And then the other thing that I've done and thought a lot about in the last eight months since I've been in the job is just talking about it. Everybody, you know, has different opinions on family planning and, and how that should be handled to your point within the workplace. But I have no problem talking about it, you know, and being open and honest about it with colleagues that are men, with, you know, women who are thinking the same thing. It is, quite literally, a, a part of life. And so you should talk about it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the more we talk about it, the more you as a leader talk about it, the more you make it better and easier for those 200 people to talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. I had a conversation the other day with a young woman who was thinking, I came into to Merrill through one of our leadership development programs, and she's thinking about going through it. And she said exactly that, you know, I'm thinking about getting, or you know, she's engaged and she's going to get married and she wants to have a family. And so being able to tell her that story that I just told you about that conversation with Lindsay only further perpetuates and pollinates that culture of, you know, family, you know, work is important, but so is family. And there is no such thing as work-life balance. I think we've all learned that in the last year. Everything has kind of blurred together, but it's, you know, two incredibly important pieces of most individuals' lives. So we have to talk about it and make it work. For sure. So, Courtney, I know this is a hard question, but are you willing to tell us about a mistake you've made along the way? And what did you learn? You know, it's funny. When I was thinking about this interview, I find that women are often more self-deprecating than men and very open to sharing mistakes. <laughs> Again, more probably stereotypically more often than men. So I have no problem sharing a mistake <laughs> that I've made. But so I had kind of an interesting 2020, we all did, but I was out in Northern California uh, for the first couple months of the year serving in market executive role on a temporary basis out in Silicon Valley. Then I came back to New York right before the pandemic started and served as a, a temporary market executive in New York. And so one of the interactions I had when I was in New York with a financial advisor was you know, in the thick of March and April when the market was very volatile and tensions were high. And we had a conversation that I just didn't feel like I carried myself the way that I know I want to and that I know I want to represent myself in that interaction. And so, you know, I still to this day, I won't say that the content of the conversation was a mistake, but the tone and the delivery, it, it could have been better and encompassed kind of an, a level of empathy that was necessary in that sort of crazy environment that we were in. But as soon, I remember we were on the phone, uh, the interaction was over the phone. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought about a conversation that I had had in a small group. Carol Wentz, who's another one of our senior leaders, and she runs a very large division out in the Texas and, and mountain area on the West Coast. But she said the, most, the five most important words you can ever say as a leader are, I'm sorry, I was wrong. 
And so I knew that that was a conversation that I needed to have, right, with this financial advisor to pick up the phone, let, you know, tension settle. Everybody can sleep on it. But the next day called him and said, you know, I'm sorry I was wrong. The way I handled that conversation was not the way that it should have been handled. And I think when you can admit to any sort of mistake or mishandling of a situation, it only will build stronger and more honest relationships with your colleagues. And so being able to say, you know, I admit I did something wrong. Here's how we're going to take it forward. Here's what, you know, my plan is for us going forward. I think has only cemented that to be one of the strongest relationships I've ever had with a financial advisor. Love that. And it is hard, especially when everybody's stressed, it's hard to always be our best self, you know, and handle every conversation, right? It's important to acknowledge when we don't, but I also think it's important for us to give ourselves a wide berth and give each other a wide berth. And, you know, I'm a huge Brene Brown proponent, so I think it's a real moment to lead with empathy, even when you wish somebody had come to come from it from a different perspective. Exactly, exactly. So tell us a little bit about what work-life balance looks like to you, even in this environment, as you point out, where the walls have come down and kind of the division between work and life has been obliterated. So our offices in New York were completely shut down from March until September of last year. So uh, before I moved up to Providence, that's where I was. spent most of the summer working from home. And I think the most important thing that we can do, everyone talks about time blocking as this sort of holy grail in terms of how to manage your day, but I do find that it really does work. And it's been really nice while working from home to have a little bit more flexibility about where those time blocks sort of fall within the 24 hours that we're given every day. But I think as I've now gone back to the office, as I mentioned, we're back, you know, at the end of June, as of the end of June, to set aside things that are really important. You know, I like to run. So I have a, you know, having moved to a new city, trying to meet new people, joined a running club that's on Wednesdays and it starts at five. And it's probably a little bit earlier than I would typically leave the office, but my team knows it's something that I do every Wednesday at five o'clock and it's really important to me. So I think, you know, setting an appointment that you have to make. Exactly. Just like any meeting, right? I, I have to be there. Great. Well, I'm going to now, Courtney, turn to our fast five, the fun stuff. Uh, I was hearing about how you like creating a fun environment for all your financial advisors. So we're trying to do a little bit of that here. I'm going to start out by asking you, what is your favorite karaoke song? That's a good one. And unfortunately, one, which is uh, (laughs) Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. I actually took a class at Bucknell (laughs) my freshman year, um, which my my parents were thrilled to find out that was one of my first classes I took in college. (laughs) But um, it was actually a really cool class where we learned all about each one of the events that are mentioned in the song. So I'm proud to say I know every word. That's so (laughs) funny and fascinating. What is your favorite way to practice self-care? We talked about running. Are there others? Yeah, it was like during COVID. Uh, my sisters, as I mentioned before, were very different people. So they really encouraged me to start meditating, which is something I had tried to do in the past. But during COVID, I, you know, like everybody else, downloaded the, the Calm app um, and spend 10 minutes a day. Similarly, I have a 930 appointment, which is kind of a tough time in the, in the middle of the workday. But yeah, it's, it's 10 hard minutes to take a break from work back. to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing. And, you know, they do a great job of gamifying things. So I'm on a streak and I'm not willing to break it. So. <laughs> ah, love it. Yeah. Who is a celebrity you would want to have dinner with? Well, that's a good question. I think um, someone that I've always admired and has been in the press of late is Reese Witherspoon. 
I'm a hugely legally blind fan, um, but what she's done with her production company and empowering, you know, not only women on screen, but off screen to be, you know, huge components of, of the, you know, movies and TVs that she, TV shows that she makes. And now is thinking about taking her production company public. I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. How about a book? Is there a book you'd recommend to our audience? I always recommend that people read this book. I don't think many people have heard of, but it's called Thanks a Thousand. And it's a book about uh, a one man's journey to try to thank every single person who had any part in him buying his morning cup of coffee. And it really makes you take a step back and think everybody from obviously, you know, the farmers and the folks that harvest the cocoa beans, that's one piece of it. But then he goes and talks to the loggers that, you know, cut down the trees that eventually become the cups and the engineers that build the water filtration systems that go into the espresso machines. And so it really makes you just take a step back and think about in our daily life, how many people have contributed to every experience that we're, we have and to approach those sort of things with a sense of gratitude. I love it. So Courtney, you know, at Fairy Godboss, one of the things that we believe deeply is that women don't always take enough credit for our achievements. We're not good at talking about our achievements. We've been trained from a young age not to talk about our achievements. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to brag and talk about your achievements and tell us about you. Oh, that is hard. (laughs) I'm always willing to give gratitude and excitement for others. One of the things that I'm most proud of, and I, for better or for worse, signed up to do it again this year. I've run three New York City marathons. Um, I'll be running my fourth one um, here in November. Something I've always, I always said I was going to do. And then when I pulled the trigger, I realized it's the most fun day in New York City. So I'm excited to do it again. This year, it's the 50th anniversary and it's post-COVID. So I think it's going to be a real party. I'm excited to to be a part of it. Uh, I bet it will be incredible. I've actually run once myself and one of the greatest days of my life. No question. That's great. Well, Courtney, I've loved hearing about how much you love your work, about how you've sort of taken on the mantle of this big responsibility and you think about mentoring and creating fun. And I love your gratitude. You have such a strong daily gratitude practice and a real appreciation for the life that you have, the work that you have, and I love it. So with all that, is there one piece of advice that you would like to leave our audience with? The one piece of advice I give, and I give it to everyone, but I think it's most applicable to women, especially young women, is nobody's going to look out for you more than you have to look out for yourself. I'm almost hesitant to share that on a broad scale because it does sound so self-serving, but I think I've mentioned I've stood on the shoulders of the women who have come before me, and I've been lucky enough to support you know, young women who you know, are, are trying to emulate myself and, and other leaders, but at the end of the day, you have to want it more than anybody else. And you have to raise your hand and ask for the things because the things that you want, because nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder and ask you if you want to do the next thing, if they don't know that it's, it's what you want. So got to look out for yourself. You have to ask for what you want. And if you work really hard, you're going to get it. I mean, I think that's excellent advice. And I, I don't think it's cynical. I think it's real and, and also empowering. Who better look out for us than ourselves? Exactly. Well, Courtney, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.